Welcome to Monster Chats, presented by Monster VoIP, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales and organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions that come up during today's episode, please text them to 424-378-6966. Please welcome the founder of Monster VoIP, your host, Colin Mitchell. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Richard Bird of Right Path. Richard and I are going to be talking about the new normal of digital marketing and advertising, big data and everything in between. I'm Colin Mitchell, the host of Monster Chats and your founder of Monster VoIP. Richard Burt is, is the godfather of big data and the founder of RightPath. RightPath is a market leader in deterministic data, marketing to consumers who are in market, researching products in real time. They deploy advanced social, mobile, and digital listening and reconnect customers via email and mobile interaction in real time. They monitor billions of records daily. Richard, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, thank you for inviting me on, Colin. Yeah, so Richard, tell us, before we dig into the topics that we're going to be talking about today, which are um, the consumer mindset in, you know, in the current situation with the coronavirus, um, how, how the rich are going to shift their buying power, the economic impacts of coronavirus, and what marketers can do to counterbalance that. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so um, I started my company four years ago. And it was really based on being a disruptive technology. So I came out of the uh, demographic database world. Um, my big claim to fame is when I was at MBA school in 1980, I studied under a professor that wrote the first book on customer segmentation. So I was really fascinated by this, asked him to do a student research project as part of my MBA we ended up building the FICO score. And so I ended up uh, selling that, uh, he did, to TRW. Um, I got a job there, uh, basically building out the business credit file, the real estate file, and the, the uh, consumer credit file. Wow. So, so out of that experience, I was really the first person that was involved with building these mass scale databases on consumers around demographics or, and on business side, firmographics. So I could have never uh, planned to have a career that's really lasted 40 years, but I really consider kind of the father um, or could be grand now of big data. And so I've worked now with about 500 different clients uh, helping them build their customer uh, databases, um, show them how to apply demographics and insights to these databases, and then show them how to develop omni-channel strategies. But uh, what I saw was uh, in the marketplace is that everybody did the same. It was taking my uh, database of customer I over-index graphic attribute. So it could be that um, I'm a yoga studio, I run hot yoga, uh, my uh, market, and that's what I over Not every woman that's 24 to 34 year old does um, 
uh, yoga, not every woman that does yoga does hot yoga. So when you build media plans off of this, there was always this assumed waste. So in advertising, we always had this standard notion that 50% of my, my ad spend is wasted. Mm. So what I thought out is, is there a way that I could see people showing intent uh, through two vehicles? One, them researching terms on the internet and hitting retargeting terms. And then two, did my mobile phone. So in this analogy of the hot yoga studio, what I'm most interested in is somebody who's actually out on the internet or somebody that I know that their phone goes to a hot yoga studio six times a week. Now I'm getting people that are showing affinity and intent. So it's a much different way of looking at the end consumer. And it's what we call in-market behavior, people that have a, a higher probability to buy because we know that they're in the category and they're researching options. Wow. Now, um, is there any, I mean, is there any limitations in that? Like what, what type no. of... Interesting. Yeah, please. Sorry. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, this applies to basically any, any type of business, any sort of consumer behavior that can be tracked to then not be wasting that 50% of the ad budget when you have a more targeted audience. To a fish finder. What we do is we, we use very sophisticated keywords that we enable through AI and then as people hit these terms on five ad networks, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, we um, see these uh, people that are showing buyer intent. And then we can all look in Instagram and get people that like things or members of, of certain brands. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we can go pretty much across any um, uh, platform. Mm. So tell me, um, let's go back a second, right? So from being the, 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 the godfather and, and, and part of creating the FICO score, which I'm sure you probably never imagined would be used as widely as it is today, um, to starting uh, Right Path, what, fill in the blanks there a little bit for us. Yeah, so I, I've had the um, I've had kind of uh, three levels of, of of career development. In the early days, I was responsible for building out the TRW credit um, file system. In the '90s, everything went to internal database builds, and that was a result of Oracle coming out with uh, their database product and IBM coming across. Uh, um, out with their database product. So in the 90s, I was mostly working with clients inside, building their customer databases. Mm -hmm. So some of the clients that I worked with were Nike, Ferrari, uh, Dell, Apple during those years. Mm -hmm. And then in the 2000s, everything shifted to the internet where people were actually uh, showing um, outward demand 
So you didn't have to use an internal database to cultivate demand. And so I was literally uh, the first person I met those guys uh, and, uh, two months into their experiment and uh, I, I put up the first two corporate um, uh, sites, one for um, EA, another one for Pink, the division of Victoria's Secret. Mm -hmm. So I was on Facebook for six years before it was made public. Oh, wow. So I had a a very unique situation of watching all the digital uh, stuff develop. In 2008, I built one of the first um, uh, digital demand site platforms for an ad agency. So I was involved with programmatic from the very beginning. So we used um, uh, media math to build that. So I've been involved with the in the last twenty years around pretty much every significant um, development around Facebook and programmatic buying. The problem, to be honest with you, Colin, is that it worked perfectly until the bots showed up. Mm. And what happened was is that in the last four. Years, to um, 40 to 60% of the traffic is fake. So wow. one of the things that we did, so one of the things that we did is that we match back to emails. So we know that it's a, a, a three X authenticated email and that's what the ad networks provide back to us is the email they have on file. If it matches our end, we know that it's a valid individual. Then we go ahead and market to those people. Wow, let's 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 take a step back for a second. So, forty to sixty percent of the traffic is fake due to bots. Yeah, and click farms. Wow, that's a huge number. Yeah, in fact, in, in fact, take it. And I say this to Google click fraud. They mm-hmm. say that represent upwards to twenty five billion dollars a year. Wow. It's really incredible. And we see this, by the way, in our networks because we only match 50 to 60% of the time on the traffic. Right. So we're assuming that if we don't match, that the likelihood it is, is. That's incredible. Wow. So you've had quite a journey. Yeah. It's been a fun ride. You know, the thing is, is that in my space, I've had the benefit that every year, um, the ability to use statistical uh, tools, AI tools, Mm -hmm. hold vast amounts of data, uh, increases with every year. When I started, literally, and I I hate to date myself, is that I worked uh, in an environment with 360 mainframes where everything was being done uh, using punch cards. (laughs) air conditioner floor and now pretty much you know with the cloud and a pc i could replicate that data center um so hard for for most people to recognize that over a four decade period just the technology's gotten so much better biggest thing for us has been the advent of the cloud that's really what allows us to do a lot of things that we do on a daily basis Right, right. So tell me, what are you guys seeing in the consumer mind, you know, mindset shifting um, since all the coronavirus, you know, pandemic has, has started? 
Well, I'm going to a couple general statements. Okay. And, and um, so one is that um, all of the traditional demographic databases that exist today are going to have to be reset. And that includes the FICO score. So we have never experienced this economic downturn that we're in right now. And it's going to be extremely brutal. And uh, for people to move forward, they're going to have to basically, it was all the data that existed pre-coronavirus, which you can throw out. And now it's the new norm of what does America really look like today? Wow. Because uh, it's, it's, and I say this to you, it's a very frightening um, thing to say this, but FICO was never set up to run to create uh, expansionary credit to people that deserved it. So you're going to have a huge reset in um, in the financial markets around credit worthiness and and what it means to. And it's going to be come down in the in the next six months on who's still working and who isn't working. And this is affecting a lot of people. You know, I, I look at some really rock star people that I know in the advertising space that are all getting laid off. You mm-hmm. know, advertising in my space is contracting at a rate of 30 to 40 percent. I know of an agency in Orange County that had 30 clients all went on pause. Wow. They had a staff of 60 people. I don't know if they're going to retain those or what they're going to do. So, so largely, and I say this to relative to credit worthiness and demographics, whatever you knew about America, uh, it all changed in, in March. And, and tell me what, I mean, what would a re that's, I mean, that's a, to talk about a, a reset, right? So, you know, the demographic and and, and the da- the database prior to coronavirus and then a reset. What is that? What does a reset look like? So I think that there's going to be three things that are going to happen at a financial uh, basis. One is that if you had historically um, good credit and had uh, a reasonable amount uh, that was active, they're going to have to reevaluate you relative to the lifetime value of what you contributed to that bank. So if you were actually a revolver in good standing, um, they're going to have to take that into account. Mm-hmm. So if I had $40,000 on my credit cards and I kept them current and they were making $20,000 a year on that, I'm going to have a different incremental value to that bank versus somebody who had a $1,000 balance or a $3,000 balance where I made a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So banks are going to have to kind of rethink what customer lifetime value is relative to people who are impacted. And I mean, how do they, I mean, there's no way for them to gauge, you know, somebody who was paying on time and had good customer value prior to Corona and what their current circumstances are to evaluate whether they are that same, you know, customer after. Right. right. Second thing is that understand that 1% of this country controlled 50% of the stock market. So the ultra affluent, if they chose to sell in this down market, they're going to be downgraded 
tremendously mm-hmm. if they had to go to cash positions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they hold a lot of assets now that are non-producing. So the whole notion of real estate in this country around second home ownership and all of that, I think that's all going to go away. So, you know, uh, I think what will take its place will be Airbnb. Mm. And uh, that is really going to destroy second market um, uh, marketplaces like Palm Springs, Colorado Rockies, Montana, uh, vacations built in Florida. Think about all of the second home uh, markets that are just not going to be viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be depressed, you know. So the rich are going to take it as well as the poor in this this downturn. And then I think the third thing is is that, and it's something that you and I have talked about, you know, before this call is that you're in a really good place is that people are going to have to reimagine working from home Mm -hmm. and not everybody's set up to do that. Now it's interesting. I've been home based since 93. Mm. Uh, My computers are my employees. Yeah. My databases. So all of my teams operate virtually. So from a executional standpoint, we, we haven't, we haven't been uh, impacted the fact that we're already virtual. Mm-hmm. My CEO is in Tampa. I'm in California. Database groups are in Atlanta, New Jersey, um, San Clemente. So we've been very fortunate that we were already set up virtually. Yeah. But a lot of companies just aren't configured this way. Right. So you're you're going to have a tremendous boom, I see, in what you're doing because – Everything is changing now around that reality. Yeah. So who gets retained and who doesn't get retained? And that's are going to be those people that are home-based and technologically savvy. Right, yeah. And, I mean, for the people that weren't set up, I mean, we're a virtual team. We, we have been for a long time. Um, it, but for the companies that weren't set up, that were scrambling to figure out how to make that work, um, do you think that's going to become the new normal for them? Or do you think they go back to going into the office or downsizing the office? I mean, are people going to be doing away with their office leases? Uh, what do you think oh, that yeah. looks like? Yeah. If I was WeWorks, I would be uh, frightened right now. Mm. Because the fact is, is that... Uh, now, there's some benefits that I want to say to you is that there's a very well-known senior bias towards employees, and that's going to go away when you work remote because people don't really care what you look like. Um, there's going to probably be less racial discrimination. Mm. Um, so there's going to be some benefits that are going to come out of this because uh, hard um, – segments from an employment standpoint at, at, at a home situation that could very well change. So I actually saw a very nice pointed piece done by a recruiter saying that he thinks that this is really going to uh, make skilled people more accessible in the marketplace, less accessible uh, rather than less accessible. That's an interesting positive point of view to, uh, to consider. Yeah, and he was saying, especially with the dis, uh, uh, people with general disabilities and 
um, they maybe actually uh, uh, have this ability to do that. I have somebody in my family who uh, suffers from mental illness, and she has a teaching job through the state of New Mexico. They've made her uh, a tele employee now, and she's thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been able to manage her mental illness. She's been able to uh, have a fulfilling career, mm-hmm. and she does it from the safety of her home. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that are just more comfortable in in their home, in their own environment, that would maybe rise to be able to work from home rather than be in the office around a lot of people with maybe the anxieties that that creates for them. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So how, how, tell me how, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the rich are going to, you know, some things are going to change for them as well. So how are the rich going to shift their buying power? Well, think about this. And I was um, talking to one of my uh, clients that's in the the luxury goods thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything that the rich aspire to has been literally shut down and taken away from them. So they aspire to have country club membership and to do that as on the basis of a social interaction. Mm-hmm. So think about uh, yacht clubs, tennis clubs, uh, golf clubs. They're, they're basically impacted by this virus. Um, second thing is that they typically buy fashion and jewelry for galas. Those aren't going to be happening for a long time because those are gatherings of 50 or more people. Uh, Your expensive car is basically parked. You know, maybe you're going out and and doing midnight runs in your BMW, but the reality is is that your cars are basically a a useless commodity right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Your second home, you really don't have free travel now between states as they bring states together. They don't, they're not encouraging you to cross state lines right now. So that's changed. Uh, Travel has basically been decimated. You know, I would imagine that uh, that's one thing when the rich do uh, are able to re-engage, that's probably a sector that there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand. So I do see that. Think of all the luxury hotels right now that are shuttered. Yeah, very high overhead. So the thing is, is that it's the whole notion of a luxury good now. Um, look at what you and I are wearing. You know, I'm wearing yeah. a cotton golf yeah. shirt. That's my standard attire every day. Yeah, you know, I'm wearing I'm wearing pajama bottoms. So that's good. <laughs> I'm wearing shorts. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying to you is that there's no need to dress up right now. I really feel like uh, luxury brands are all but going to go away. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to survive. Now, what talk, talk to I mean, eventually, you know, people are going to start eventually at some point, which we don't know when. You're going to be able to go to gatherings of 50 or more. You're going to be able to travel. But even once people can, how long do you think it will be before they actually really feel comfortable or will it ever get back to the way it was? Or some things going to really shift where, you know, buying luxury cars and going to these events is not, you know, we, if they're able to find a way to, you know, manage without those things, will they feel that still feel the need for them when they can have them? 
Well, I think uh, I'm going to say it a different way to you, Colin. I think that there could be a, a few uh, things that uh, survive this. One is that people will take more time in home dec decorating. Mm -hmm. So because they realize that if you're going to be homebound. So I do see that, that some consumer electronics like TVs, smart TVs, uh, 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 that's going to be uh, 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 probably a, a segment that survives. Mm -hmm. um, art, so things that you decorate, that might survive. Um, but by and large, and I say this to you, is that the affluent people in this country are also more tied to um, a, an older age. And they're the ones that are most at risk. Right. And, and I really do believe that there isn't going to be a new normal. People are always going to think what's out there that's going to get me now. Mm -hmm. I, I, and uh, I, I want to ask you a very blunt question, and, and, and I want to be very respectful what, that I ask it, but I already know of two people that have died from the virus. Uh, one was a 34-year-old, and another one was a 71-year-old. Wow. So uh, just in my immediate circle, you know, I've seen two deaths. And uh, so the 34-year-old is the one that shook me up because he's probably your age group. Mm -hmm. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't suspect that that person would have uh, been exposed and taken out so quickly. And yeah. he was one of the first casualties. It was actually nationally reported. It was one of the first deaths, but so what I'm saying to you is that what's going to, I think, really dictate this is that we're a nation of 340 million people. We've, we're going to see probably maybe 50,000 deaths when it's all said and done. I don't, I don't really know now. It's a very small percentage of the overall country, but this country is very connected right now. Mm -hmm. And how people relate to this is how they personally experience the, the dark side of this, this virus, which is the death that's, mm -hmm. uh, that could come from this virus. And, and, I, and, I, and I say this too uh, because they say there's a statistic about the flu kills X amount of people in a year. Mm -hmm. And I don't really remember knowing anybody in my life who's died from the flu. You know, mm -hmm. I just, my experience over 61 years, I don't know of anybody who the flu has taken out. This thing is really a much different problem because mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing people that are really truly being impacted on a, on a, from a death perspective. Wow. And there's also a lot of people that, you know, don't know, uh, maybe that aren't experiencing that, that don't have, you know, there's a lot of different information that's floating around. So it's, I think it's challenging for people to know, you know, what, what to believe, what's true, what's fact, you know, uh, as far as, you know, like when it was very ha happening early on, there was a lot of younger people were like, Hey, you know, if I get it, it's not a big deal. Um, where, you know, myself from the very beginning, I was very cautious because it's not just if I get it, maybe if I get it, I'm okay, but who else do I give it to that might not be okay, right? Because I think the biggest concern is how, you know, easy it is for other people to get it, right? Um, 
so with the people that maybe don't um, have the experience of seeing the, the, you know, the death and stuff like that, you know, they just need to be more cautious of, of who they could maybe get it to. You know, I think people are obviously not as careless now, but early on there was a lot of people that were very careless and not taking this thing very seriously. Yeah, I think, um, uh, Colin, we should be blessed being in California because we're the first state to shut down. So we're going to be the least impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, in my personal situation, I have a son your age that lives up in the Bay Area. Uh, my wife was visiting him because I have uh, a new grandson who's seven mm-hmm. months old, and she wanted to come up and visit him and had a scheduled time, and then they put her on lockdown. So mm-hmm. I didn't see my wife for a month. She literally was in Oakland with my son. I have a daughter that lives about 10 minutes away from me, and I have three grandchildren by her. So it's really weird, and I say this to you, that in the month that I was at home, I only saw my, my uh, three grandchildren twice, had them come over and play in my yard just to have that experience. So I think that, you know, for me anyway, the value that I place now on my children and my grandchildren and family time, that's mm-hmm. all been uh, uh, restructured in terms of priority and, and value. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say this to you, and it sounds um, – I don't care about material stuff much anymore. And I think that there's going to be maybe a shift where I, – I, having been around my house, I was telling my wife, I said, the one thing I know I will never buy is an aquarium because I felt like a fish just going window to window. Mm-hmm. And that was my uh, fishbowl, you know. And, yeah. And, um, you know, and the things that I have inside this house, I don't really care so much. What really matters to me are the, the things that are outside this house. And that's my friendships and my family. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have, you know, taken this opportunity to really deepen relationships and, you know, have a more of an appreciation for their, for their immediate family. Um, and really bonded, you know, during this time where we've been kind of forced to slow down. So, so there is some positives, you know, that have come out of it, um, you know, but uh, I, I just think that, you know, people forget easily, right? So when we are able to all go out again, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if that mind shift stays or, or, or changes. Yeah, and I think that you're going to see that, uh quality of the experience is going to be different too. I was telling somebody um, uh, this the other day, um, maybe I don't take my grandkids to Disneyland mm-hmm. because that's, that's where people meet in mass, mm-hmm. but I certainly want to take them down to the local skate park and watch them skate. So maybe more personal, local, experiences smaller uh, scale might yeah. be petting zoo might be the pony ride yeah now so it'll be interesting to see how people value things whether it's going to go more to a local small intimate scale versus mass tourist scale which would be a huge change i mean i think that people are going to be nervous to travel anywhere at least for a while especially to another country Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I think that people realize that. 
there are there there will be people that will be opportunistic and take advantage of specials. Um, I, I have to, I have a friend in, in advertising. His name is Hugh. He's an amazing guy. He always picks vacations places that are hit with natural disasters. Oh wow! So he'll find the seven star hotel that's in the Caribbean where the island just got hit by a hurricane and they're just thankful to get one person to show up and he'll be pampered for two weeks. He'll have like all 150 employees, you know, waiting on him by the pool. This is what this, how this guy travels. I'm sure that he's probably right now got his bucket list of all the places he's always wanted to go. He can go anywhere now and get that type of treatment. Yeah, for $60 a night. Right. So, like I said, there probably are going to be opportunistic travelers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't see it coming back. I really don't. Oh, it's going to take a long time. A long time of, of healing and forgetting and, you know, building up the courage to, to take, you know, these things that we'll now consider high risk. Well, think about it is that if I want to travel with my family, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to an Airbnb. Yeah. I'm going to have much more control of that environment than being in a, in a hotel and being on an airplane. And I mean, even just wearing masks and gloves, is that going to be, if you go around more than, you know, X amount of people, is that going to be the way of, of going out wearing masks and gloves? I don't know. So uh, you're on the, you're on the South Bay, correct? So which, where do you reside? Yeah. So um, my office is in El Segundo, and then I live right on the other side of the airport in Westchester. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it would be very interesting to see when they open up the beaches Yeah. in your neighborhood. I, I live in Laguna Hills, very close to Laguna Beach, and mm-hmm. you know, it would be very interesting. I see a lot more people will start enjoying the, the local things near them. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, we you know live close enough to the beach, um, but we definitely take it for granted and don't go visit as much as we probably could, could or should. And, and, and now it'll probably be something that we can do and feel safe, right? Yeah. So I think, like I said, uh, it's all going to go to very local, very intimate. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to go the other way. Right. And, and, and like I said, I think it will be very interesting uh let's meet up again in six months and see where the bankruptcies lie it's going to be with the big box retailers they're not going to survive any of the big property companies that are holding these malls Mm -hmm. they're not going to survive uh upscale hotels large-scale resorts they're not going to survive i really i really do believe that i hate to be you know, so negative, but I just think there's a reality that values are going to change. Yeah. And a lot of people probably don't want to face that reality yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Is really what it is. Um, we're going to take a quick break just to tell you what we do here at Monster VoIP. Uh, we help companies save 30 to 50% off their current business phone bill while providing them more value and more features. If you'd like to learn more, you can text us at 424-378-6966. Richard, can you tell us a little bit about what you think the economic impacts of the coronavirus uh, 
and what marketers can do to counterbalance that. So let, let's talk about uh, your space, which I find most interesting. Mm -hmm. So everybody's now um, going home. They're right. being enabled to use uh, uh, your products now for the mm -hmm. first time. God bless you. You're in a great position. What's going to happen now is, is that you're going to have to be concise storytellers. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to have this ability to deliver a message out to somebody who's of it, uh, economic buying significance to where they say, yes, I want to engage. Um, it's probably going to be a Zoom meeting like we're doing, probably no more than 20 minutes. Let's talk. What is my story? What is my product? And then decisions are going to be made. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this face-to-face -face sales process is going to just be eliminated. It's going to be uh, uh, coffee and steak knives and Cadillacs will go to closers, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody who's dynamic on a video who can, uh, can converse, yeah, great storyteller, they're going to be very successful in this environment. Yeah, I had, I had somebody ask me yesterday for a meeting, a sales meeting. They're obviously trying to sell me something. And uh, he said, you know, can we meet for a virtual coffee? And I thought that was pretty clever. So I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've been doing on all my meetings is that, as a joke, is that uh, a week ago I wore a sombrero. And now uh, for the client that I'm dealing with, every time we get together, everybody tries to wow somebody with the, the next hat. Oh, okay. That's very cool. So, but, but what I'm saying to you is that I think that you're very well positioned. What we can do... Um, at right path is that we can uh, track 150 million phones on where they've been. A lot of check information around previous business conferences. Mm -hmm. So if you can give me the, the venue and you can give me the location, we have the ability to track down to a phone and then associated with the phone, we have the private email. Mm -hmm. So we have this uh, ability to basically locate people. I, I would imagine that uh, Microsoft is probably very happy to have bought uh, LinkedIn mm -hmm. because this is going to be a very valuable asset now. Wow. Um, you know, the, the navigator tools that are in there are going to be essential for people to do business now and to locate people. Mm -hmm. But it, there's going to be a huge shift and it. it's going to benefit your industry. Where we could help you is that if any client is looking to re-engage with people that are non-attendees. We're doing that right now for our clients. Uh, one of our clients is a, a, a large um, investor group in the cannabis space. Um, we're, we're helping them identify people that go to uh, Basinger and MJ uh, BizCon conferences in Vegas. They had 30,000 attendees. Mm -hmm. So we're helping uh, them build this database of, of prior visitors. Now, how far back does the, how far back does your database go like events, right? Because now there's, there's not going to be any events at least for a year, right? So nope. how, how far back can, is your database like, you know, events one, two, like how many years back is it where you can track the people that were at those events? So on Facebook, it's historic. So it goes back through the history of uh, somebody liking that event. 
And then on a, a digital basis, we can go back two to six months. Oh, okay. So, so uh, for the digital, uh, it's really events that have happened. Once there's no events for, for six months plus, then, then what? It's, it's going to go away. So that now's the time to harvest. Right. Um, wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, and I say this too, but it's just going to be a fact of life. We worked with the eSports, and we, we actually had a, a very interesting device. It's, it looks like an airport scanner. And what it allowed uh, children to do is they could enter the scanner, and uh, it would make a complete uh, video game avatar that they could then import into three games. So it debuted at the NBA uh, All-Star Game. And uh, so you could basically could be avatars of, of, of basketball players mm -hmm. and, and they could play one of three basketball oriented games that we were going to take it to 20 events this year. All of been canceled Comic-Con E3 um, every single gaming thing. So, you know, people, uh, on that side, they're not expecting anything to happen until Q Q4 at the earliest. Mm. And you say esports is is really booming now with people at home, right? Yes, we're seeing sixty to seventy million people engaging with uh, titles and, and influencers now on a monthly basis, way up. And what was it previously? Forty to sixty. Mm. It's running probably sixty to eighty million. Wow. So uh, just to give you a number, uh, um, uh, 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 Amazon site, I think, got 300 million hours booked this last month. So on Twitch Studio, mm -hmm. I think that it's gone up to 300 million hours now in terms of play. Wow. Really hard to imagine. Yeah, I mean, what else can people do for entertainment, right? Yeah. From home. I mean, streaming, uh, esports, gaming. Um, so it's very interesting is my wife has a good friend that is a quilt designer. Mm -hmm. And so she makes the patterns for ladies to basically stay at home and sew and make quilts. Her business is up 200%. Huh. So anything... And, and trust me when I say this, you know, I'm very youthful in my orientation. I have, uh, have grandsons that are 11 and 10, and we're always having esports conversations on who's the greatest, what, what's the newest game, what are they into. So I stay pretty current on that. But I came of a generation that was used to occupying their time playing Monopoly and board games. And it's interesting is that my kids that are in their 30s are now asking, hey, do we still have that Monopoly game in the closet? Yeah. Hey, do we still have the game of life? Right. So it's going to be really interesting. It's like there's going to be some nostalgic things that are actually going to probably do really well, like all the right. old board games, card games. Right, yeah. My, I, I have three kids at home, and uh, I have 18 months, uh, four and five. And my four- and five-year-old are just every day I come home, and they've got three or four different – uh, 
amazing Lego creations that they've built oh, yeah. for me. You know, and yeah, and then, sadly, in a, in a in social. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. And so uh, then on the weekend, you know, they want me to build with them and I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. I was going to say is uh, with social distancing man, Legos, there's got to be going through the roof. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the most creative uh, things that were ever invented. That is you can make whatever you want to make on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. Every day they build them and then every day at the end of the day, they tear them down so that they can build something new the next day because they want to use those, you know, those pieces, you know, so they build them and then tear them down and then build something new the next day. Yeah. So I think that, you know, um, these things uh, uh, around personal entertainment, they're going to be super valuable. It's going to go into esports, computer gaming, uh, board gaming, uh, reality. All of these things, I think, are going to benefit. What I don't think will survive this, to be honest with you, is organized sports. Mm. It is, yeah. it's, uh, your kids will probably find going to a baseball game lame when they can just stay home and play Fortnite. Well, even, you know, how long is it going to take for people even to feel comfortable going into a gathering of that size? You, that's what I'm saying. So. You know? Not only will they maybe find it boring or something like that, it's going to take time for people to even feel comfortable to do that. I just saw that. I just saw that um, uh, Germany is going to have uh, attendee-less games, uh, and they're not going to allow any uh, events to take place through August 31st. Wow. So, I mean, that's a new reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I want to say this to you in, in, the, in the best possible way. I'm, I'm a, uh, quite a bit older than you, but um, for me, aspirationally, I like the fact that uh, I wake up and I don't see cars on the road. I hear songbirds in my yard. Uh, the air is clean. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, it's crisp. Yeah. Um, I live close to the beach, so the uh, water coming off the ocean and the air just amazing. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I've never experienced this. Yeah. Um, um, I, I go on walks and I see so much wildlife coming out of the open spaces now and kind of retaking our, our suburbs. It's yeah. really interesting. I've seen hawks, snakes, coyotes. Uh, it's been really unusual to see so much wildlife now out in the open. Mm -hmm. um you know and and i'm seeing these things so it's not all bad yeah you know? yeah yeah no, I, the, one of the things that i find myself enjoying is like uh you know usually with three kids and, and we have bit pretty busy lives and we're usually always doing something and you know we always feel kind of rushed to get one thing done to get to the next like it's kind of nice doing things at home not feeling like i have to be anywhere go anywhere or i i just have all the time to enjoy uh, my family and not rush to do the next thing. Yeah. So I think that, you know, through all of this, you know, Colin, you know, there's going to be certain things that are going to take precedence that people aren't going to want to go back to. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, uh, 
country maybe gets serious about electro, uh, electrical cars, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe we don't need uh, this all this petroleum, you know, maybe we mm-hmm. can start working on alternative fields. If we're going to stay home, you know, I think solar, solar paneling and solar yeah. power maybe uh, take over. So yeah. there, there's going to be a lot of clean, uh, environmental initiatives that I think that are going to come out of this that are going to be very, very positive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for your time and welcome to the monster chats family. Before I let you go, please tell us where people can find you online or how they can find out more information about your company. Yeah. So uh, we spell our company a, a particular way. It's R Y, uh, T E. P-A-T-H, so it's Right Path. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you can reach me at uh, Richard, R-I-C-H-A-R-D, dot, Bert, B-I-R-T, at Right Path, R-Y-T-E-P-A-T-H dot com. Awesome. Well, Richard, thanks so much for your time. Uh, you are the godfather of big data, and we really appreciate you coming and sharing um, you know, your, your thoughts on, on what's the current situation. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share, and we're open to hearing your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The show is all about you. And thanks so much, Richard. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Monster Chats presented by Monster Voip, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales in organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions from today's show and want to reach us directly, please text your question to 424-378-6966.